Greetings and salutations, and welcome to The Good Lawyer Show. I am your host, Matt Scrivens, and we are delighted and honored you are joining us. On the show this week, we are re-releasing one of our favorite episodes with Nathan Heppel. When he's not throwing his boomerang, watching an Aussie Rules match over a couple of schooners, or of course, throwing another shrimp on the bobby, Nathan is a lawyer and director of the law firm HBA Legal based out of Sydney, Australia. He is also half of the talent on the podcast Pardon My Objection, a show that challenges the status quo in the legal industry and is co-hosted by one of our past guests, Mitch Kowalski. In this wide-ranging discussion, we cover many topics, including how in Australia, law firms are permitted to be organized as corporations and owned by non-lawyers, and how this type of structure can lead to better outcomes for all involved, how our current partnership model is failing both the lawyers who work within the system and the public at large, except for the very few at the top of the pyramid, the high rates of depression and mental health issues currently being experienced by lawyers, and what we can do to reform our legal system to make it just a little more human. Despite the heavy nature of some of the topics, as you will hear, the tone of the show is quite upbeat. Nathan has an infectiously positive outlook, and it is inspiring to know that Good Lawyer has allies all over the world who are working towards positive change in our antiquated legal system. Nathan, my apologies for all the -the over-the-top Aussie stereotypes, but I know you like to fire a few of your own back-at-us canooks, so hopefully we're still friends. Alright, that is it for me. I hope you enjoy today's show. Nathan, welcome to The Good Lawyer Show. How are you doing today? I'm very well, gents. Thanks for having me. Now, you sound like you're from like the northern part of Canada. Am I getting that accent right? Or uh, where, where are it's you a, coming from us today? Man, it's a long way north of Canada, <laughs> let me tell you. You're all, over, all the way over the top. No, no, I, I'm in the uh, um, very much south uh, of Canada in Australia. I, I'm speaking to you from Sydney on a, uh, on a beautiful morning, actually, down here. Excellent. Yes, uh, you're our first international guest, so uh, we'll send you a plaque or something when this is done. And uh, <laughs> hey, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. That's great. Yeah, yeah. No, but thank you. It's much. probably going to be more of a postcard. We're a yeah. startup. That's right. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I have to talk it over with the big boss here. So uh, we'll, we'll see what we can uh, scrounge up. Though. Look, just maybe some of that great maple syrup, you guys. I uh, keep telling my friend Mitch Kowalski that uh, I don't don't send me anything. Just send me maple syrup and ice wine. That's it. You know what? We're going to try and make that happen. We're going to try and make that happen. <laughs> I'd but, ask you to send us some Vegemite, but I don't want any. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to have fun here. So, so Nathan, just before we jump in, uh, 2020, it's been a bit of a year. And, and uh, you know, obviously, I want to get your perspective from the land down under. But, you know, what's been forgotten in all of this is you guys have been dealt with some pretty big fires uh, that have kind of been swept under the rug, so to speak, just in with everything that's been going on. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'm guessing 2020 and I guess at the late part of 2019, it must feel like the year that's never ending for you guys. Seems to be that way down here. And uh, Australians are well known for their tough spirit and of getting on with uh, life when dealt a blow. And uh, the bushfires, you're right, tragically. Um, uh, are a long distant memory now compared to COVID. Uh, But many, many people are still having to live through and recover and rebuild and restore their lives after the bushfires. And uh, we're all doing our best down here to get around those people while still dealing with the pandemic as well. Right. So it's tough. Um, We're going into winter down here. So 
not so many, not so much bushfire season down here at the moment. If you could call it winter, I think you guys up there have, have take the cake when it comes to winter. But nevertheless, uh, no bushfires for now. I'm guessing that our summer uh, is probably pretty close to temperature to your winter. So we're we're sitting at about 22 degrees here today, and I think it's I'm pretty sure it's hailing day. outside right now. Yeah, a storm just literally <laughs> rolled through with ice falling from the sky. So there's a difference for you right there. But uh, why don't we just start off by just getting a bit of an introduction from yourself. Uh, just tell us who you are, how you've become a lawyer, uh, your current role, that type of thing. And then obviously, we also want to hear about your own podcast. Oh, great. Yep, absolutely. We, uh, we have a law firm in Australia, uh, HBA Legal. And HBA Legal has now been in, in, around for about eight years. Uh, we also... Um, work very closely and have a, a claims business to help our clients deal with issues as they arise that might be non-legal. I think oftentimes uh, many lawyers um, have a wonderful contribution to make in relation to um, matters or claims, uh, but it can be limited where they don't collaborate well with other professionals. Um, and in our world, we do quite a bit of defence litigation work on behalf of large companies, insurers and government. Um, and what we have found over our eight year, our short eight year period with our law firm in Australia is that success comes through us collaborating well with other people. And so over time, we've expanded our business into having other professionals like claims professionals join us uh, to be able to give that help to clients. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's, that's interesting. And obviously one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on the show is that in Canada versus Australia, the, you guys have a, a lot more liberal market when it comes to legal services and how you can combine them with others and, and, and all of that. So, uh, Brett, do you want to start with uh, your question though? Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds to me like you're talking about like a multidisciplinary practice in the context of litigation. Is that Accurate. I think it. I, I think it goes beyond that because, from my point of view, uh, when lawyers talk to clients, um, and when I go out and talk to clients as a lawyer and on behalf of a law firm, you're often there dealing with issues that they may not want to face up to, um, mm-hmm. and and it can be there can be a quite closed conversation around those things. Pre- prevention is often better than cure with mm-hmm. many aspects of risk, uh, and. A lot of the times in litigation, we are dealing with risk. And so it goes beyond a multidisciplinary practice simply because lawyers need to think about themselves not at the centre of the issue, but Mm -hmm. rather as one part of the cure to an overall problem. And Mm. I think if we use the term terms like multidisciplinary practice, lawyers are yet again putting themselves at the centre of the solution rather than as one part. Mm -hmm. That's actually a really good point because you're right. When when I hear the term multidisciplinary practice, you think of lawyers being the the epicenter with some add-ons. Well, yeah, and I conceive of it more like silos. Whereas the mm. what you're describing is, I, I'm having a bit of a time trying to really wrap my head around it. But it's a more holistic approach, as opposed to like here are three disciplines that you can access through this. Well, yeah. And I think also one of the key issues uh, uh, is that it's too easy for uh, law firm leaders to pay lip service to these other um, key areas that need attention um, rather than give it a genuine voice and a seat at the table in relation to it. And we can unpack that. But a lot of the times that is 
due to silo-driven mentality, separate lines of profit. And, but, but also, I think the remuneration structure is such uh, within the, the, the legal profession that it really does create quite a significant barrier to real collaboration between different professionals. Right. Well, yeah, the longer it takes, the more you get paid. Well, For I'm very, very fond of saying that. It, <laughs> yeah. It's a remarkable system, isn't it? But when a client can, in fact, hire the people and the tools that they need to solve a problem and it's cheaper than having a law firm come in to do the job, we're really in a situation, to, I think, to say that the system is broken. I mean, you wouldn't have somebody coming around to build your house and it'd be more expensive than for you to go down and buy the timber, get, get, arrange the concrete to come around and do the building with your own hands. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it sounds like you're, obviously, Australia is going through a lot of the same issues that Canada is on a lot of those same things because those themes are obviously... Oh, they're way ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. Or something that me and Brett obviously have been hitting on on this show. But maybe just, let's just start with, uh, you're an owner of the practice that you're a part of. Is that correct? You're like your title is a, a, a director, which is in of itself unique to Canada because we only have partners. And, and in Canada, non-lawyers are not permitted to invest in or own uh, legal practices. Uh, and as I understand it, that's different in Australia. Is that correct? Yeah, it is quite a lot different, actually. And the situation that we face in Australia is much different, I think, to Canada, because when you have a partnership structure, obviously, the profits flush out each year. One mm. of the things that I've been very fond of talking about is that in order to invest in a client structure, which is where uh, we're at now with the way that legal services are provided, often in a quite systematic way, investment needs to be made over the course of, say, three to five years in the way that those service delivery um, mechanisms are designed for clients. But where you've got law firms and partners within law firms who are the owners and they're entitled to take their profit, there's no doubt about that. But where it occurs on a year-to-year-to-year cycle, Mm -hmm. there is no uh, retained earnings. As as there would be, say, in a corporate structure. And so take the current coronavirus situation, which we've seen here in Australia, where, say, last year, a number of firms down here, we had a Royal Commission, a couple of Royal Commissions actually into various things. But a lot of law firms who were appointed on that Royal Commission had a lot of fee generation that occurred. And a lot of more junior lawyers, people who aren't partners, did not Um, get the uptick, if you like, the upswing in relation to that level of profit. Now, six months later, we're facing a new financial year as we come to one July in Australia, and the sheet is clear. Now, how's that fair that only seven months later, people have been working their guts out, and now they've got to take a 20% pay cut and still continue to work the same number of hours when (laughs) six or nine months ago, they were working their guts out. Now, Well, Nathan, Nathan, it's because one day... You could be that partner. You could be well, that partner. But you know, I, I like, you know, I'm being sarcastic because I had that exact same line fed to me when I was at a big shop. And I was like, you know, the carrot's not close enough. Like, where's the incentive to really do my best given this structure? Then, and that was pre pandemic, you know, and then when everybody's taking a pay cut equitably across the firm, including, you know, partner salaries getting cut by, say, 20%, it's like, hey, guys where's the upside for, for the rest of us? Well, and you're talking to a brick wall often because you're talking to people who ultimately don't have the, the level of power to make the change because within those structures, as we know, they're quite opaque. 
the power uh, often sits with a handful of people um, and those people have no motivation to make the change because let's say, for example, there are um, three years from retirement or whatever oh, yeah. the case might be. Yeah. Now, that's not everyone. I'm not suggesting that, but there is an incentive to, for the people who've made it to the immunity level, as I like to call it, to maintain the status quo and pull the ladder up from behind them. And, and totally. I think that is a major part of the problem. Whereas um, 25, 30 years ago, you had people who were extending a hand to bring people up to that partnership mm -hmm. level much sooner. And those people have benefited from that. For some reason, we've had a quite a significant culture shift and got people pulling the ladder up from behind them. Now, I think we're talking to a brick wall. The thing that I, the people that I want to listen to these messages that you guys are putting out there is, uh, are the clients. Mm -hmm. um, are the, the more junior people who are making a decision about where they're going to invest their time over, their, over the early part of their career. Because mm -hmm. for as long as more junior lawyers continue to believe the myth and for as long as clients continue to not ask questions like, for example, where are your retained earnings? How can we ensure that the next three years of investment that we make with you in some cases, many millions of dollars is going to be protected because we don't want to turn up one day and you tell us that the whole team that we've been using has been made redundant or has been gotten rid of or for, for whatever reason is no longer with the firm. What are those strategies that you're putting in place before we start investing with you? And until we get to that point where those questions are genuinely asked by clients, I don't think there's going to be a commercial um, incentive to start to turn the needle. Well, and to be honest, I, I, you know, working at a big shop in Canada for, you know, four or five years, there's been a shift since the financial crisis where clients are pushing back in ways that they never pushed back before alternative billing structures. And, and that's the main one that I've seen just asking for bold face discounts all the time. Um, but I think, yeah, I think you're onto something that that's the next layer it's not just about how you're billing us, but what is the structure of your business? And if something bad happens, are you going to be able to support the clients that you know rely on you in these really important and, and deep ways? And we had one firm in Canada four or five years ago completely implode. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've heard of Heenan Blakey, but I almost ended up going there. And you know, when I, by the time I would have been articling, the firm was gone. And it was amazing to see that size of a company because they can call it a partnership, but it you know functions like a company, implode overnight. Well, my friend Mitch Kowalski talks about some statistics out of the UK, which are that the average uh, uh, law firm over there uh, of, of greater than 100 people, I think, I can get those stats and, and deliver them to you guys, only has about 60 days worth of uh, money to, to cope. Because they're just taking it out. They're yeah. taking it out. Yeah. Well, Isn't that crazy? That's the way that it works though. And you yeah. see, this is the great myth of wanting to be a partner in that sense that right. you're only as good as the last year, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and now there might be situations where the partners have to give back loans to be able to continue to cope. But then again, there's this portability situation that moves along. Now, when you have a corporate structure, it's a very different beast and it's a very different environment. And what it does, I think, and what we're seeing increasingly is that it makes sure that people who can manage businesses well manage businesses well. Right. 
and the technical experts and people who can deliver the, the legal services well uh, get to do that job. For too long, I think we've expected partners of law firms to be everything to everyone. They're like totally. that guy that's busking with the, you know, the tambourine yeah. on his foot and yeah. the, the drum in his hand. And we expect them to be managers of people and uh, exactly. financial managers. Project managers, yeah. yeah exactly. And, yeah. And, and, and success to lawyers oftentimes is in saying, yes, of course I can do that. I can do anything. Now, mm-hmm. so, so this isn't about laying blame at the feet of any individual because right. we've got totally. this... Systemic um, issue. Having an incorporated structure, uh, I think, I want to say ironically, but I don't think it is ironic uh, because I think in Canada you guys need to step up to the plate on this. Having an incorporated legal practice offers more security to staff, mm-hmm. offers more security to clients, and offers more security to regulators than the government. And it takes the pressure off of the lawyers that, like you said, are thrust into, you know, being entrepreneurs and managers and all of these things that, you know, they didn't set out to do and whether they can like, you know, grow into that role or not, Mm. a lot of them are not made to be managers of large groups of people. Like it's not in their DNA, but they were the, but they were the best lawyers. So that's why they're in that position now, which does, it just doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. And they're lauded as these sort of, um, um, geniuses that can cope with things, but they're probably just hanging on by a thread themselves at times, if they're honest. Um, I think that um, the other component to it um, that we have to recognise is that none of this is friendly at all to a a gender equality within the workplace. Mm -hmm. None of it. Um, Because when you've got a young family at home, whatever the situation might be, um, that often uh, it's been shown through statistics that that burden sits with uh, mum oftentimes. And in Australia, at least 70% of people employed in the legal industry are women. Now, to put that in context, think about the health industry. 80% of the health industry are female. So, mm. we, you know, think of all the doctors and nurses and allied health providers and all those sorts of people. And I think people would gen- generally identify uh, a gender balance in terms of the health industry as being quite high for women, mm-hmm. but the legal industry is not far off it. So why have we designed a structure that's unfriendly to that gender equality? And why mm-hmm. have we designed a structure that doesn't make it friendly for people to progress? Now, I think the other thing that's important is that we often talk about millennials and, 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 and millennials is often used uh, it, with a with a with a, a dirty sort of taste. Oh yeah, a little disdain. Now, now, yeah. now hey, why are let, you guys trying to stir things up so much? That's right. How dare you, you ungrateful crowd? <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the reality of it is, millennials are now turning forty, and we're in a situation. Uh, well, you know, approaching that kind of thirties kind of peak of their career kind of area, and when you when you look at the statistics. Um, this cohort is driven by different things. Right. They're driven by wanting to get meaning, uh, meaningful relationships at work. It's not money that drives these guys. And so I think the future is bright and the story is bright in the future because um, when we can start to unhitch this concept of million, millions of dollars a year going into the pockets 
of, of law firm partners and having to scrape all of that out before anyone else gets paid, uh, having yeah. to scrape all of that out before any investment in technology occurs, having to scrape all of that out before any investment in people occurs. Yeah. If we can get to that point and start to share some of the, the pot that exists in terms of clients paying money for legal services every year, we could do a lot of amazing things for people. We've just got to share it a bit more. And, and you know, it's interesting what you said, because I was, uh, I, I can't quite remember where I got this, but they say the best indicator of whether or not you'll become a CEO of like a fortune 500 or a larger company right now is if you are a baby boomer still. So not even gen X, like forget about millennials, you know, it's still baby boomers that are, you know, running companies and, and, and they actually made mention of that very point, that, that transition that you were speaking of isn't happening. That ladder is being pulled up. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, obviously that's causing some frustration with, you know, speaking as a millennial, I know that there's uh, some of my kind that uh, do feel that frustration that the opportunities are not, are being withheld uh, whether that's valid or not, we can debate, obviously. But I'm curious to, to know, do you believe that, you know, being able to have non-lawyers invest and actually having that company structure, does that help alleviate some of these difficulties? Like you seem to obviously be quite familiar with the partnership model. And you seem to also think that the uh, incorporation or the actual business model is a little bit better. Am I getting that right? Or what are your thoughts? Well, it on? must. It must. I... I, I... I, yeah. I, I cannot see how a situation whereby investment on a corporate basis over a five to 10 year horizon right. in resources, in services to clients cannot benefit the ultimate end user right. who in my, in my world, the ultimate end user is the client as well as our people who are delivering mm -hmm. the service to that client, because we've got to look after our people as well. They right. need to know that when they sign up, to work, that we're designing a business and a structure that will survive more than 60 days or one right. year or whatever the case might be. So I think, yes, my view, and you've got me on the podcast, Nathan <laughs> Heppel's view is that is that it must benefit because of the nature of the way that a corporate structure has the investment over a period of time. You haven't got shareholders who are sitting around saying, I need every dollar taken back out at the end of the financial year that is my profit for the year in a corporate structure. That, yeah. that, that doesn't make any sense to anyone in the corporate world. It only makes sense to lawyers. Now, <laughs> totally. I think one of the things that, that, that could be said against my position would be, well, what about the independence of lawyers? Oh, I'm so glad you're talking yeah. about yeah. it. Yeah, you're going, coming yeah. at you. Yeah. You're reading you know? my mind. Yeah, so, exactly. So what about the independence of the, we're a profession, we're not a business, we're not a corporate structure. Well, okay, I understand that. But there's no one telling you in that corporate structure or in that corporate world that you don't maintain your independence. There's no one telling you that you can't take a position in relation to uh, the way that you conduct your legal practice that is inconsistent with any of the professional duties that you owe. I mean, doctors work exactly. for hospitals. Um, doctors work for large medical centres. Mm -hmm. um, they're not, they're not um, uh, in a situation where they, they can't have this kind of structure. The reason that they're in that structure is because as individuals, they can't possibly afford to invest in the level of infrastructure that's required in the long term to, uh, to give people the health services they need. Right. I mean, 
if drug companies operated like law firms, no one would ever want to get a coronavirus um, uh, cure because the people who are the investors this year would have a bath of right. a year. It doesn't make sense. And so from my point of view, I think that, yes, that there, there are many out there who would argue that there needs to be independence and I, I'm, I'm one of them. I share that view, but I don't think that the two can't sit by side by side. There needs to be professionalism and an upholding of that ethical duty, which is exactly the same as other professions, like you've noted, doctors and many others uphold within corporate contexts. And I think the argument that shareholders will be somehow so influential over the lawyer because of this additional profit motive, pretending like this insane profit motive doesn't already permeate the profession at a deep, deep level is nonsense. And I think, you know, I wrote this note down here. Fundamentally, partnerships don't work at a certain threshold. Partnerships were designed for small numbers of people. And when you have a thousand partners, many of whom have never met across a country that operate with effectively a board of directors, like get real, like what are we talking about? Well, it's offensive too to lawyers to think that we can't walk and chew gum when it comes to being able to have a, a, a professional approach to the way that we do our work, because ultimately we're answerable to the court. Ultimately we're answerable to the professional bodies who regulate us. That's a separate duty uh, that is owed uh, to our employer and it overrides anything that we owe to our employer. So you're right, let's get real about this and let's put our, our big person pants on and understand that those things aren't going to go away and no one's advocating for those things to go away. Mm -hmm. But the, the confronting thing for people who are in power at the moment in these law firms is that their very existence and their million dollar pay packets every year is at risk and it's going to be taken away. And they don't like that. Of course. I mean, no, and, then, and, 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 you know, again, I, I don't really, like, look at many lawyers as bad people. You know, right. most of my best friends are lawyers from law school through working. Like, they're great people, but they're in this system that skews reality in in a disadvantageous way for for clients certainly but i think hugely for lawyers like i think there's way too many lawyers that are unhappy because it's really hard to be a lawyer within all the confines that exist and you know you kind of touched on it earlier i think that millennial generation i think our generation i think they're going for fulfillment maybe a, a dose of freedom mm. over prestige like it's mm. about fulfillment and you know they're going to make good money but they don't need to make a million dollars and they're not going to kill every... themselves for a title. Exactly. Yeah. My best clients don't sit in a marble palace with an office door. They sit in open plan like me. I, I don't have an office door. I sit in open plan in, in the same way as everybody else in my office sits because we don't spend our time wanting to invest in a big infrastructure or a marble sort of foyer to, to project a certain image. And I think that's going to be more consistent with this new generation coming through that says it's more about substance than, than form in the, in oh, the right. sense of the, um, the, the image that's uh, uh, portrayed. I think also that we then get into this discussion to, to loop back to where we uh, started, Matt, around the, the, the fixed fee costing. Right. Because if you accept that ultimately the financial performance of the firm is driven by the expectation of partners to, to, to meet their, 
their peers. Because I know in America, for in, in the United States, for example, they have this kind of annual declaration of the average profit per partner. And some people get quite upset if they haven't risen up the ranks. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter what the dollar amount is. It's about the ranking, which I find quite bizarre. But the, the if you accept for a minute that there's that sort of quest towards that point, where you have a billing structure then that rewards people that take longer to do work, the longer it takes, the more money it costs. And you've got this hourly billing structure that requires associates and lawyers and various other people to feed the machine every day to the tune of hours and hours a day. It is the ultimate melting pot to create mental health issues. Oh it's my the God. ultimate melting pot to create yeah. depression yeah. amongst people in the profession because it's not serving any particular outcome. All, yeah. all the outcome that's being served is putting my time down on my timesheet. And if in some instances, I'm sure that are out there, if an associate can solve a problem in 10 minutes uh, really quite well and smartly, yeah. that another associate takes 15 weeks to solve putting time on their timesheet, who gets the better reward? And totally. Now we have the answer to that. It's crazy. How is that I know we know the we all know the answer to that, and it's crazy. Well, and and to your point, uh, Nathan, you know, um, if it's a never-ending stream, too. If you do a really good job and get work done, you're going to be hit with more work. And uh, you know, we, me and Brett worked at the same firm. If you really rushed, did everything you could, pulled an all-nighter, well, it's not like you get tomorrow off. <laughs> you know, tomorrow there's going to be another memo waiting for you. You know, I consider myself not a, you know, the weakest individual in the world. And it took, it took me when I left the big firm that we were at. It probably took me near a year. I didn't realize it. I did not mm. realize it, but I had anxiety and it mm. took me about a year to work through that. And it mm. was, it was weird. I didn't know how it was manifesting. I was just anxious, but I, it took me like, after looking back, I'm like, oh, there were wow. those shingles that one time. I, and I even literally, I literally got shingles as in, as a person in my out 20, of stress, yeah. out of stress from working mm. at this, uh, at this firm. So and Matt's and a, I, and I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I, honestly, I, it, it, it saddens me to hear that. And, and it's, 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 it's just not good enough. It's not good enough. No. And well, there's lots of things that we can be taught in law school or, or whatever the case might be. And I think us having this conversation and, and, and people listening to it, right. I think um, should, should just raise a glass to you both for, for, for having this conversation and putting on the podcast, because it only takes one person out there to listen to this right now, Matt, who's going through a similar experience. Mm-hmm. And our message to you, if you're listening is this is not normal. You are okay. You're doing a good job. Uh, be brave and get out. <laughs> no, <that's, laughs> because no, there's awesome. no good end to this story. Um, and there are places that you can go and have a fulling, a fulfilling career with people who care about you, who seek out clients that share the same values and you can have a great life with real balance. And this is what's going to happen, guys. And, and I, I, I applaud you because when you talk about, well, how are we going to make a change here? There's a very famous song in Australia uh, by a guy called Paul Kelly, which is from little things, big things grow. And, um, you know, my little contribution, your little contribution. If we, when we put them all together, it's going to build a big noise of an orchestra. And 
when we get a few good, solid, big clients who make an impact in relation to these things on board and genuinely asking these questions, then we're going to see change. And I think it'll happen very quickly, to be honest. Um, I think it'll happen really quickly and it'll be a case of not overnight because we've been talking about this stuff for 15 or 20 years. Mm -hmm. It'll seem like it's overnight, but it'll happen very quickly. That's obviously very encouraging to, and I think I speak for both of us here, that that's very encouraging to me and Brett, because yeah, we, uh, we, we're right there with you where we do see that need for a change. Just to play devil's advocate here uh, on, on what you were saying, because one of the chief concerns that you hear all the time in Canada and other jurisdictions where the partnership model is still king um, is upholding those ethical standards. Uh, you know, there's, they paint this image of kind of a wolf of Wall Street type scenario that if we allow private investment to come into these law firms, ethics will be cast aside, uh, you know, and, and this, this motive for profit will overrule any type of duty to a client or anything like that. Obviously, I believe it was 2001 when these rules changed in Australia, and correct me if I'm wrong there, but um, what have you seen? Is that, is that true or is that, is that fiction or is there something in between? Look, I think in Australia that presently there hasn't been a major uptake amongst corporates to buy law firms. There wasn't a rush of um, corporate Australia coming in and saying, we want to buy a law firm. That's the first thing. Often it was used as a, a structure for um, existing lawyers and law firms to be able to corporatize their own structure and continue to invest themselves. So after, you know, a, a, a pretty long period of time, the f- first thing I'd say is Australia is Australia hasn't become an, uneth- an, an unethical legal <laughs> jurisdiction. Last time I checked okay. in the last 18 years. So, I think that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is why not shine the light internally for a little while? So I would say that to Canada, that's fine. If the the existing lawyers and those who are sitting on the pile currently say, uh, well, look, if all these bad people come in, this isn't going to be good, but why don't you shine a light internally first and look at what you've got at the moment? Because I think that would create an uncomfortable truth, which is that, perhaps bringing in outside investment might actually improve the circumstances in relation to uh, the way that that investment occurs within law firms, the way that lawyers are treated uh, within those law firms and the obligations that employers have to look after the good mental health of people. So to me, I sort of would turn the conversation around to say, no, the experience in Australia has not been Um, big corporates coming in and leaning on firms to do their bidding. That's the first thing. The second thing I'd say is we're better than that. Lawyers are better than that. And we, we are serious when we uphold our duty and anyone that doesn't should be struck off. Mm -hmm. Simple really. Um, And and anyone that doesn't in Australia is struck off. Um, So those, and and perhaps beef up those structures, no problem with that. But I go back to the central issue, which is this, the the partnership structure that exists does not allow for the ongoing investment into clients and people. Right. And that needs to be recognised and fixed. 
I'm saying a solution to that is to allow incorporated legal practices to exist, and that's increasingly working in Australia, so that outside investment can come in and be treated as that for capital to be able to invest on a long-term basis in the structures and the way that we deliver services to clients. Um, what I would challenge is whether the partnership structure can truly do that. And I don't think it can. Absolutely. Well, that's a, that's a concise yeah, answer. That's so good. Like it's, <laughs> I just couldn't, couldn't agree with you more on, on all of those points. I think the, the current structure is prohibitive. It leaves, you know, in Canada and the U S which is the stats that I have three quarters of legal needs going completely unmet. Like the masses and masses of legal needs going completely unmet which means we're not meeting our societal duty as a legal profession. And then on top of that, you have so many mental health problems and just your average lawyer is not all that happy. I ran a painting business before I became, before I went to law school and you know, we were painting some real nice houses up in Edmonton and I must've had three or four lawyers that summer whose houses we painted suggest that I did not go to law school. They're like, you're good. You can sell it. Like you just paint. Like, don't be a lawyer. Just keep, just keep running a painting business. So it's Look, on both and, sides. And they live in a different world. It's, and it's interesting. If you do peel back the, uh, the makeup and get some honesty from them, that's what they say because they're not truly happy either with the situation. Um, they know the truth. <laughs> they call it the golden handcuffs. There, you guys know the truth of this. Step up and make some changes. It, it needs to be gradual. That's not a problem. People still right. need certainty over their income if they've built up expectations of a life in relation to these things. But the, the change is coming. And oh. if you want to be part of the change, it's a structural change. It's not cyclical. It's a structural change. Mm-hmm. Those who want to be part of the change, well, that's fine. Um, be part of the change. Um, but if you resist the change, the change is going to run you over. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's well, really good it stuff. does, it does it, kind of feel a little bit like, you know, not, maybe we're not quite there, but we're so close to this like close. watershed yeah. moment where I, you know, I agree with you. I think it's going to change quickly once it starts to change. Yeah. And I really truly believe it's going to be to the benefit of your average lawyer and without yeah. question to the benefit of clients and society as a whole. Yeah. Well, that's right. Because I think the other thing too, that lawyers should be aware of is that there's a whole um, if, if you unpack the way that the, the, the steps in the process that lawyers do quite a significant amount of that is not actually legal work. Um, a lot of it is administrative work uh, that is dressed up as part of the process. So we'll take it on and we'll charge a paralegal at, you know, X dollars an hour and we'll, we'll, we'll bring it all together. When I talk about the changes coming, when I talk about the train rolling through, the the, the regulation, if you like, of non-legal services is beyond the reach of these um, re- regulatory authorities. Um, now, I, I, absolutely, there, there is a there is sometimes a fine line, and far too many people sail way too close to the wind in relation to these things, and there, there must be care taken. What I'm saying is that um, we, we have to recognise as lawyers that there's an opportunity out there for companies, corporates, other organisations just to come in and offer up those services to clients and be, and they'll be entirely removed from, from lawyers. Mm-hmm. It's not just other law firms becoming corporates that, that are going to impact this. 
Absolutely. Um, and then there's an issue over quality of work and overall revenue. And so when you're not pumping in the, the highly profitable rate of, say, a junior lawyer, where you're paying them a small amount and you're making a lot out of them, that's when the beast isn't being fed as much profit. And so it, it, it's creating a problem. And that's, that, that's where I say that, that the great threat isn't necessarily going to come from the direction that people think it's going to come from. Right. So you have uh, collaborated with a, a Canadian, one of our fellow brethren, to uh, create a podcast of your own. Do you want to just kind of go into how you know Mitch, who was a former guest on our show, and I recommend Yeah, well, thanks, guys. This. Uh, go back and listen to it, because that was a fascinating episode as well. How do you guys know each other? How that podcast, especially uh, as far as you guys are obviously living very far apart? Well, indeed, before this podcast, of course, and before I, I met you guys, Mitch was in my top five favourite Canadians. So now he's, uh, <laughs> he's fallen down the list, of course. But uh, of course. No, when we first started to explore the concept that we were uncomfortable with the way that legal services were being offered um, in Australia, we felt that there must be a different way out there. And we, we attended a... Uh, seminar where uh, Richard Susskind spoke and I, I I went back afterwards on Amazon and I bought the Susskind books and that you know where you check out and it says oh if you bought this you might like this and it was Mitch's book um, about reimagining legal services and so I bought it and then Brett and I uh, every year or so would would, would take ourselves um, and speak to lawyers and entrepreneurs um, either in Australia or in other countries and we, we were in North America and we thought we'll pop up and see Mitch. And we had a day with Mitch in Toronto and he took us down to Niagara Falls and we saw it from the good side. Um, <laughs> and we, we, we had a, a fantastic time together talking about these things and struck up a great friendship. And Mitch has been down to Australia a number of times since. And uh, I can safely say he is a, a buddy and a friend of mine. Uh, he's a friend of HBA and uh, he has a lot of good things to say. He's a very thoughtful person when it comes to the way that legal services are provided. And I know in Canada, he's a leading light when it comes to being vocal about these things. And so I just go along for the ride, guys. Uh, he's the brains <laughs> behind the whole podcast. The thing that I really appreciate about Mitch, you know, obviously his willingness to speak out and share his thoughts, which I tend to agree largely with is he's caring, you know, he cares about the profession and he wants to see the profession evolve in a, in a positive way. He's not, you know, he's not an enemy of the profession. He's deeply rooted. His whole life is sort of surrounding, you know, being a lawyer largely. And, you know, I think that's important to remember is he's trying to do things that, and, you know, as I assume you are and, and, and we are, we're trying to do things that's, that are intended to further the profession mm. and bring it into 2020. Well, and beyond. And I think that Mitch... What, what, one of the things, look, the thing Mitch does very well is he's, a, he, he's very human. And yeah, whereas, to put it. whereas many people in his, his world are quite academic uh, in relation to thinking about an overall structure that will apply to a large group of people, I, I think there's absolutely a place for that because I think we need thought leadership on it. One of the amazing things about Mitch is that he actually gets right down into the weeds and meets the people. And when you read his second book, he's, he has showcased a number of those individual people that he's been out to meet and shared maple syrup with and whatever else uh, <laughs> he's done. But he, those people know him personally. 
that that they they are still connected with him. They still talk to him. He, when they hurt, he hurts because there's yeah. been some that he's been out and spoken to that that have not gone on to do things that they'd intended to do. And so, one of the great things about Mitch Kowalski, I think, is the fact that he is he's very in touch with the human element of it all. Mm-hmm. And that's something, obviously, that is uh, needed more in the legal profession. I think we'd all agree on, on that. Uh, so well, I'm, getting the, the, I'm getting those vibes from you, too, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. You're, uh, and we, we have interviewed several academics, and they're, don't get me wrong, they're, they're great. But uh, obviously, your, your willingness to uh, let it fly is obviously appreciated. Get in the weeds. Well. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've tried to be polite, because I know you guys are the most polite people on the face of the planet. So, <laughs> no, we're nice. Um, we're not polite. It's oh, yeah. We're bringing you back for the campfire <laughs> series, and it's going to be evening yeah. in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait to get out of this coronavirus oh, situation and get on a plane and uh, come up and see you guys. Because no, that would be amazing. Uh, eventually, we will, uh, we will be able to fly again. Everything's pretty, pretty good down here in Australia, I've got to say. Uh, we've, we've, we've done okay so far, but yeah. uh, we're very vigilant, and we can't rest on that. It's, um, it's a tough thing out there. No, unfortunately, I think it's going to last a little bit longer. But so just what's the name of your podcast? Just so everyone can uh, uh, search. Pardon my objection. You can uh, you can catch name. it on, on Apple Podcasts. No doubt where we can get the Good Lawyer podcast as well, uh, right. gents. And uh, yeah, check us out. Awesome. And then just before we go, this is one of our, uh, as I was saying, one of my favorite parts. This is like your guys' quick hitters, but it's not as fun. Yeah, exactly. That's fun. But we just like to ask, is there any, uh, is there any resources that you obviously you mentioned Mitch's book, which we'll throw in the show notes, but any resources, whether they be legal or otherwise that have helped you along your journey that you could think would be uh, helpful for others along theirs. Yeah. Get online and buy David Meister's books. Okay. Seriously. I, I'm writing it I'm down right now. I'm a big fan of David Meister. He, 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 he's written one book, which is about strategy and the fat smoker, but which is a great title. I love that title. <laughs> is that one about is, me? Is that one about me? Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, you're, you're actually doing okay these days. I was wondering yeah. which way you were going to go with this whole Corona thing. that you're holding it together. <laughs> yeah. But I think, uh, uh, I, I, I've really always enjoyed his way of writing. Uh, and, and the other thing too, that I encourage people to do is talk to mentors and identify people within the firm who you gel with and, and try and have honest conversations with those people. They're, they're, they're out there. Uh, I have, I've benefited over the years from some amazing mentors who've become my friends and who've cared deeply about me. And I hope to pass on that same um, care that they gave to me early on to treat awesome. me like an adult and tell me how things actually operate. And so th- I think that's the second resource that I would encourage everyone to think about. If you're listening to this, you know who that person is. Just go and ask them because I think they will be so chuffed to, to have you ask them the question, will you, will you have a coffee with me once every two months? Um, that they'll probably end up paying for the coffee and it'll, it'll become monthly, you know? So I guess David, my answer is David Meister's books are superb, uh, coupled with relying on your own network of people and create that connection with them. Amazing. You got to ask. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't hide away. You got to ask for the help that you need. And I think, you know, the point Nathan's making is agreed that helps probably going to be more available than you think it is. Yeah. Well, and, and the person giving it to you is going to have a great feeling about being able to give it to you. Totally. So, 
uh, you know, understand that out there that you're not that that, that it's not a burden uh, for for so many people. Right. It's not a burden for people who are going to actually really treat it well with you. It's a good test. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, Nathan, I'll tell you uh, to to back that up. Uh, how we got you on this was that we bugged Mitch as soon as we were done. We're like, let's get Nathan. Can you get the introduction? And you know, yeah, it's always a little uncomfortable asking for an introduction sometimes with people that you don't know. But obviously, this is been a great chat and we're, uh, you know it's paid off taking that small risk obviously well i'm honored guys and i'm yeah. i'm very grateful to be the first uh, international yeah. guest so you know what you know what nathan i i would say i would want to keep talking to you forever but brett called me right before this show and told me that he has a date tonight and this could Hot only date. go one hour so <laughs> well i don't, I don't, get, I don't get out very often these days look at the shirt right? yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> we've all been living in covid so uh, i can't deprive brett of of this so uh, well good luck Good luck to uh, to you for the evening. Uh, she she know, listens to the podcast, so she's gonna love this. Oh, Don't absolutely. go cheap on the wine. Uh, yeah. That's um, that's my hot tip for you tonight. But yeah, that's uh, a good tip. Maybe you can report that back, report back on the next podcast about how. how we... uh, that would be an ongoing tell, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're, Nathan... you're assuming there's going to be a kiss already. So <laughs> I, I am wildly confident, Nathan. For better and for worse. Truer <laughs> words, my friend. Truer words. Well, Thanks, Nathan, this has, been, this has been fantastic. Uh, just hang on the line one second. We'll say a proper goodbye. But uh, thank you very much, Sage Words. And uh, I can already tell this is going to be a great episode. So Absolute thank you very pleasure, much Nathan. for taking some Thanks time. Thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out goodlawyer.ca slash podcast, where you'll find every episode along with the show notes and resources. You can also sign up for Good Lawyer's newsletter that keeps you up to date on all the info and tools you need to turn your business into a rocket ship. Until next time, we hope you have a great week.